0: Get a little closer.
1: Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to slash forum and sign up today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have John Papa. Hey,
0: everybody, from sunny Las Vegas.
1: Lucas Rubelke everyone from sunny Phoenix.
2: Ward Bell. Hey, everybody from rockin' Las Vegas.
1: I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.TV, and this week we're going to be talking about style guides. Now, you guys were involved in writing a style guide, or some of you were, right?
0: Yeah, this is something that Ward and I had been kind of doing informally for a while over the last couple of years with JavaScript in general, and then Angular specifically, is trying to figure out how to solve the problem of all the teams that we work on write code in 20 different ways. And it's not just, you know, my way's better, your way's better. It's how do we provide a consistent feel so that the different teams can work together and understand and read each other's code faster. Uh, and there's other side benefits to this, too, which, which we'll, we'll get into, especially as we move forward to Angular. But that was kind of a theme we tried to put together, and we formalized this in a style guide up on GitHub to kind of just show here's what the styles are that we use and also why we use them as well, to give a little bit of context.
2: Now, John, I'm a little confused because I thought this podcast was about what to wear when you're developing.
0: No, <laughs> because we all know that what you wear is – well, I'm not going or What there, not sure. to wear. What's <laughs> a zoot suit riot waiting to happen? If everybody could only see what Ward is wearing today. We'll have to take a picture and post it on the podcast page. Yes. All I have to say is shiny silver aluminum foil pants <laughs> and purple and black shimmering jacket. I need sunglasses. <laughs>
1: So just looking through the style guide, I mean, there are things in here that I didn't even know you could do. Dare I admit that? So, for example, just the first one, the single responsibility where you do, like, the dot controller, and then you give it a name, and then you just put a function out there, and then, you you know, you define the function a little further down. I didn't know you could do that.
0: Yeah, there's, and a lot of that is for readability, to be honest with you, because you can just, you know, combine the controller definition inside with the injections inside that controller uh, Function. Yeah, that,
1: that's usually the mess I make.
2: I mean, yeah, the way i on getting the main it. point up at the top so that you can above the fold, as they say in the newspaper world. So you can get the point of whatever's in this file right away. What's a newspaper word? Oh, well, you know, uh, ask my blacksmith. <laughs> 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 and then you can do this method chaining, which Angular supports so that you can go Angular module dot controller dot factory dot this dot that. If you have more than one thing, although we tend not to put more than
0: one thing in a file. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, We try to, you know, separating files out, there's really no cost to doing that because what you develop in versus what you deploy is completely different. And the browser doesn't care because you're going to modify, yeah, which is bundling and minifying. I just coined a new word, I think. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Did you <call> it mummifying? <laughs> mummifying. <laughs> I just copyrighted it. Yeah.
1: You remove its organs and then yeah. – Oh, my. Oh, wow. But anyway.
0: that's kind of the idea is, you know, let's say you've got a, a controller that's got 200 lines of code in it. And you start nesting these things, and a couple things that happens is the indentations get way off to the right because you start embedding the functions, which makes it harder to read. And then you can't really tell where the function begins and ends, and you know your code's scattered throughout the controller. The idea was, as we're reading each other's code, Ward and I and, and other people that we've worked with, when you open up the file, immediately we'd like to see above the fold all the important things about that particular file. If it's a factory, I want to see what externally accessible methods are available on that, what functions are open, what properties are actually being exposed. On a controller, I want to see what the key elements that I'm binding to are and any dependencies uh, that are being injected. So by putting that all at the top and using the syntax here in the style guide, it makes it a lot easier to navigate someone else's code.
2: Yeah, and I think the premise is that you read code 10 times more often than you write it. So all these efforts to make it possible to write quickly are less important than how you make it possible for anyone like you to come back and see your code and know what it's about.
1: Yeah, I really like it. And generally, I think we see people split the code up this way, but a lot of examples out there don't.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that's really, I think is really important to understand with a style guide again is that. It's not important for somebody to come out here and you know go to GitHub and download my style guide and use it verbatim. That's not the intent of this style guide, and I sh- it shouldn't be the intent of any style guide. And I should mention as well that two people really did help create this one with me. First, one is Ward Bell on the podcast here. The other one is Todd Motto, who he and I both have style guides, and they're very, very similar. Uh, and one of the reasons we kept two out there was to show differing ways of accomplishing the same thing but oddly, our style guides are probably 90% similar as well, which is kind of fortuitous. But part of the idea here is behind the style guide is you should have one. Whether you like mine or Todd's or a different one, that's fine. But you should have a style guide so you and your team can all follow the same guidelines. Because the worst thing you want to do is have Lucas and Charles and John and Ward working on a project together, and we all code completely differently. So when we have to jump in and out of things, it makes it more difficult for us to gain context. You know, think about when you're debugging somebody's code or you have to take over someone's feature inside your project. Hey Lucas, go grab this uh, customer details feature I started and finish it or add this other button or other aspect to it. You have to gain context of what that code is doing and how it works. And if you're using the same style, you know, the compiler doesn't care about the style, but you do. And we're the humans entering all this. So having that same philosophy along the way makes it tons easier to be more productive.
1: Yeah, besides, Lucas does it wrong, and I'm too new to know better, so.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I trick you every time.
0: I know. Which, which is another good aspect, because there are teams who have contacted me and said, you know, thank you, we're using your guide just as is, because they're new to it. So when you're new to Angular, you know, the great thing about Angular is, what, there's a hundred ways to do everything. But that's also the bad thing about Angular, is there's a hundred ways to do yeah. everything. So having a guide to just start with, and then, you know, as you go through it, you realize maybe you don't like something I'm doing in this guide, great. That's fine. Just deviate and do what makes you guys happy on your team and uh, you know, just get the rest of your team on board with it.
3: A lot of times also when I'm in to different companies and we're talking about Angular or just even JavaScript in general, it's exactly that is, oh, well, how do I do this? And it's like, well, there's actually three or four different ways to do it. And I don't think you know, one is maybe necessarily better than the other depending on context. But what is important is that you as a team agree on a way to do it, and you be consistent. I think consistency is more important than being, you know, kind of religiously right, if you will, you know, where people will get so dogmatic about a way to do it. But I think across the team, being consistent, and even if you've ever had a chance to read Maintainable JavaScript by Nicholas Sackis, it's a really, really good book. And so even pre-Angular, just code in general, is, you know, he really hits on having just a style guide for consistency, for the sake of the team.
0: That is a great book, and that's a great point. And obviously, the underlying assumption that we're all making here, and I agree with you, Lucas, consistency is the most important thing, is that also before consistency is make sure it's functionally correct, obviously. Mm -hmm. But there are many ways to functionally do the same thing, and a great example is dependency injection inside of Angular. There are several ways to do dependency injection. There's the inline array syntax, there's the dollar sign inject, and then you can put the dollar sign inject above or below the controller, if it's in a controller file, or you could use the ng-annotate um, gulp or grunt plugin to actually go through in there and do it. And then there's some subtle variations based upon that. And in the end, none of those really matter which one you choose again, but the more important thing is to be consistent. So,
2: fellas, I'd like to step back for a second. First of all, I want to say that I didn't write this. I mean, I kibitzed, but John's at the heart of this effort for this style guide, and it's great. But well, one of the things I really like about this style guide is also that it's sitting up there on GitHub, and it's got a great conversation going on around it. People are submitting pull requests, uh, and those become conversations about, well, what do you think about this style or that style? There are 33 contributors seen people who are translating it in other languages so it's a living document it's not like something that just got spat out somewhere and it's done with and it's john's opinion and nobody cares it's become a kind of a community conversation about uh, style
0: yeah it has and the the internationalization thing is new and I was really debating how to do this because I didn't want, quite frankly, I didn't want the burden of having to translate everything to keep up the different languages. So what I recently did is I had several people want to put in Chinese and Macedonian and Italian. And I just said, you know, let me go ahead and just create a folder for this. And if somebody wants to translate that, I'll let the community keep up with that. Uh, and just put a little, you know, link at the tops to it saying, look, this is credited by whoever did the translation. And the original English version is over here. So the English version will continue to be the source of truth that I'll update. And it'll be up to the community to help translate those to the other languages.
1: Those are the ones in the I-18N folder. Correct. And I think I put a link somewhere
0: on the main page towards the top. I was probably late when I doing it. Yeah, so translations, right above the table of yep. contents. And it's worked out well so far. Obviously that's going to be an effort. And some people said, well, why don't you just use like Google Translate to do it? Which is one of the questions I asked too. But then several of the people who were contributing said that's not always accurate. So there were liberties that the translation took that really weren't straight translations. So I said, that's fine. I'm fine adding in uh, as many languages as people would like to put in there.
1: So I'm a little curious. We've talked a bit about style guides and how to use them and why they're important. What are kind of the major things in here that you see people mostly hurt themselves by doing in a less efficient way or less clear way?
0: That's a good question. And before I answer that, I think you're hitting on something that I think is really important too, and that's what goes in a style guide and what doesn't. Uh, For example, I get a lot of requests for in the issues for putting in things about performance. And those are great topics. Like, you know, it actually performs better if you do this versus that, but that's not part of the style guide, right? So I've actually refrained from putting in stuff that actually will – You know, like putting in less watches and things like that in your application because there's a place for that, but that's not really a style
1: guide. Well, I want to push back just a little bit because it seems to me that the style guide is we prefer to write things this way over that way for a particular reason, and so it seems that it could go in there. So if there's a particular syntax that seems to perform better, I I guess that could go in there. But yeah, the the overall, don't put as many watches in there because it'll slow down your page. It's kind of hard to quantify that into uh, we prefer our code to look this way and not that way.
0: Exactly. And that's kind of the line I'm trying to walk with this. And there's a few places that make sense uh, to do things. And I think that's one of the reasons why I often talk about I'm going to add a section here too about having a build process. While a build process isn't a style I think if you're going to follow the guideline of one thing per file, which is one of the top things I put on my list, then you're going to end up with lots of files. And you certainly don't want to serve you know, 500 JavaScript files to your web application, even if they're you know, less than a K.
1: But, oh, come on.
0: <laughs> you know, we all want to bundle and minify then, or mummify, as we coined today. <laughs> so you know, doing something like that with the build process, I think it might make sense to deviate a little in the style guide to say, okay, here's how you could do this with the build process and use something to, uh, you know, CSS minify or just use Uglify, something like that.
2: Yeah, I think if there's a guiding principle here, it's readability first. It's about maintainable code first, and perf comes along. But you know, there's a. A risk here, people do it, of premature performance tricks and stuff like that and that just leads to unreadable code and we're kind of of the mindset, I'm not sure everybody shares it, but you write your code to be maintained and then you perf test it and you find out what's really killing you and then you're allowed around whatever part is killing you to deviate from the style. I mean, you just got to do what you got to do and you put nice brackets around it, But but most of the time you're really just looking to make sure that everybody's on board because that's what delivers the feature Fastest and keeps the application well maintained.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, getting back to original question, you know, are there anything in here that really people get tripped up on or makes it difficult for them? One of the things I really try to do is I'm a big proponent of controller as syntax, and that's a direction that the Angular team is asking people to move towards as well as they prepare for Angular two because we're going more towards a constructor-based function with classes in ES6. But with controller as, a lot of people who've been doing Angular, I mean, for four of the five years of Angular, controller as didn't exist. So most of the examples out there don't use it. And when you start using controller as, little things start cropping up if you're not familiar with it. Things like, how do I add a watch? How do I use controller as inside a directive? How do I write unit tests for controller as? What does this mean as far as relating my controller to my view? Uh, And those are some of the kind of things I try to address in the guide as well. Look, you can use controller as with everything. I've already gone through this stuff and made all the mistakes you're going to make on it. So here's a lot of the ways that you can actually code that and still continue getting yourself ready for Angular 2.
2: Yeah, the winds of change have really blown right for controller as. For example, in 1.3, they just added, what is that? uh...
0: Uh, Bind to controller.
2: Right. So so now they've made it easy to do controller as right in a directive because that's where they want you all to end up. So whereas before it was kind of like, well, maybe I'll inject dollar scope. Maybe I'll do controller as. I think if you've got your eyes on the future, you're going to be shifting your stuff over. And I know a lot of people who have done that.
1: Are there other examples in here of things that if you do them, they're going to vastly improve your life? I think the, the biggest example of that is, is
0: testing. <laughs> so uh, I put a section on the bottom of testing because it's funny. I did a workshop uh, earlier this week with Dan Wallen uh, out here in Vegas, and room was packed. Everyone's loving it, and things are going great. And I, I say, "Okay, we haven't had testing in our game plan for today, but I'd love to show you guys some testing." Who here writes unit tests in Angular? Three people raised their hand. Wow. I said, okay, wait a minute, Dan. Goes, All right, but how many of you would <laughs> like to write tests? And none of them raised their hands. <laughs> so <laughs> it was. It was one of those moments of "Ah, okay, but let me show you how easy it is and we, The more we dove into it, we made it a conversation, and people were were expressing that it 's not that they really don 't want to it 's that the friction to get in, into writing tests is really pretty high in some ways. For example, if you look at my testing section i 've got a graphic down there of all the tools you need to do testing. Mm-hmm. You know you can use grunt and mocha with Jasmine, you can use chai signon karma. And all these names come out and people start thinking you're making up names of things. So you've got a lot of things you got to pull in to do tests. And then to write the tests, to mock them and to stub them and to kind of prepare them for you know, HTTP backend and all that, it's a little bit of work. So one of the things I'm going to expand on here, and I have a few things on writing tests now, is how you can write tests easier. And I, I call it time to the first it. So it is a test inside of Mocha. And I like to say the time of the first it should be by line 15 or 20 inside your test. You shouldn't have to do a ton of preparation before setting up a test because if you do, you're not going to write them. It just comes down to it. Everybody's got a budget. Everybody's got a timeline. And it just makes it difficult to actually squeeze these things into your app. But the value of unit tests in your application is tremendously high and actually can really help your efficiency moving forward.
1: So should people use gulp or grunt? going back to that huh
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: i'm a huge gulp fan and i came from grunt but i love using gulp just because of the natural flow of writing code as a programmer it just feels easier it's faster to run actually than grunt side by side when i've written the same things and i just find it more intuitive to debug which actually is easy to debug because it's just code uh, whereas grunt is a config file so it's hard to set a breakpoint on a config file you know
2: Yeah, over here at IdeaBlade, which is my company, we uh, had all things done with Grunt, and then we converted it over to Gulp. And you know, if you go back and convert your code from one to another, there had to be a strong sense that one feels better than the other, that you're getting value. So I'm definitely a Gulp-leaning guy.
3: What do you you use, Lucas? Either or. I I think uh, Gulp is, I think it just reads better and it feels better, as opposed to Grunt. Grunt feels kind of like ant-based no, kind of a little bit of a throwback. So I think just stylistically, Gulp feels just a lot better to me.
0: Yeah, and I don't sense that there's going to be a lot of things there's going to be a winner, right? I don't sense that there's going to be a winner in this area because even when Grunt is working on making it faster, which I think it will be able to based on how they're going forward, so that will become no longer an issue. It really will just come down to style. Do you want to write straight code, Gulp, or do you want to go over and write config, which will be Grunt, uh, which has its advantages because we have folks using it where I work where the CI team doesn't really know how to code—that's not what their job—but they understand CI, so they can set configuration values in Grunt very easily.
1: I was really just trying to push your buttons. Uh,
3: well, I think it worked. He's it worked, upset right man. Now. <laughs> it worked. I'm switching to broccoli, man. There you go. <laughs> so I have a. Selfish question, if you guys would indulge me. I'm actually reading through the, the testing portion of the style guide, and it's it's pretty fascinating. Really impressive work here, John. I just was wondering if you would just comment on sign on and uh, what the advantages are of that.
2: So I'll jump in here. If I was using Jasmine, I wouldn't need sign on because it comes with a nice stubbing, spying, it's perfectly sufficient for my needs anyway. But when I use Mocha, Mocha is more of a cafeteria plan. You have to pick what assertion libraries you're going to use. And if you're going to have something that is going to spy on code, and I actually use spying maybe a little bit more than than stubbing, and we should probably say what these differences are, Mm -hmm. then you kind of have to have something, and sign-in is the thing I use. So does that clarify your question? Yep perfectly thank
0: you yes so out of the box if you want to use jasmine yes you've got your stubbing and spying so you don't need it it's so all you need is jasmine but if you use mocha you do need to have something like chai and sign on however one thing i found because i flipped back and forth between jasmine and mocha quite a bit on different projects uh, with different teams first of all the syntax between mocha and jasmine is very very similar it's very easy to go from one to the other and well, it doesn't trip me up mocha with chai when you pick chai. yes mocha with chai So you might say like to be equal inside of Jasmine. Well, there's also to be equal in Mocha. The only difference is the word to be in Jasmine is T-O capital B-E, and in Mocha it's T-O dot B-E, all lowercase. (laughs) So things like that will get you there, but I mean, for the most part, it's the same. The big difference there with sign-on is when I found I was going back and forth between the two, I actually decided to use sign-on all the time with Jasmine and with Mocha, Because then it allowed me, because it works with both, and it allowed me to keep the exact same code for stubbing and spying between Jasmine and Mocha.
2: So that reminds me of one other thing. In our choice of Chai and a particular assertion library it supports, we picked one that was as close to the Jasmine style as possible because so much of the Angular documentation and supporting tests are written in Jasmine. They're continuing to use Jasmine. And we thought it would be important for the developer to be able to surf the web and find good examples and good tests and be able to apply what they saw very directly in their own. And so we wanted to remove the shock of switching from one assertion style to another.
0: Which gets to, and going off tangent on this, but I think it's really important, is one of the biggest reasons a lot of the teams I work with chose Mocha over Jasmine is exactly this. So in Angular, the strong reason for using Jasmine is that all the examples out there seem to be in Jasmine, and the team's using Jasmine, and it works great with it. But when you start looking at Node unit testing and all the examples that are out there, a lot of the Node unit tests that are out there in the examples, people are using Mocha. So we had to make a decision. Do we want to use Jasmine on, on Angular and Mocha in Node? And we yeah, we can because the syntaxes are similar, but why not just use one on both? So then you can use Jasmine on both, or you can use Mocha on both, but which way did you want to go? And I just found that personally for our teams that using Mocha was a great choice, but I would recommend whatever you choose, try to pick the same one for both. If you're going to use Jasmine, use it for Node and for Angular. If you're going to use Mocha, use it for Node and for Angular.
3: Consistency for the win
2: and also the ability to harvest what the community is delivering. We don't just sit here in an isolated world, and that's why it would be kind of nice if other people picked up on a similar style guide because then we can share more code with each other, and everybody kind of knows what the style is, and that works out well because you don't code in isolation. So John reminds me that I neglected to mention what is a stub and what is a spy. So I'll do it briefly. Spying says, I'm really interested in, I want to spy on a method. I want to make sure that maybe that controller called a certain method on some other dependency. And without a spy, that's kind of hard to know that it called that method and what it called it with and what that method did. And by just uh, using Sinon to put a spy on it, I can then execute my controller code or whatever it is. And, and then in my assertions, in the place where I'm trying to explore what it was that that happened as a result of my you know poking at the controller, I can see how it interacted with that dependency. So that's the best thing about spying. Stubbing says that I not only want to see that it invoked that method and how it invoked that method in some dependency, but i actually I can't afford to let the real method do its thing. I have to substitute some other behavior for it. That comes a lot in an example of, say, your controller is calling on a data service, and that data service would go out and request data from a server, and you don't need any of that mess. you can just turn right around and give the back the data that would be that the controller needs. You don't have to mess with dollar HTTP backend, you don't have to mess with any of that stuff. You just want to substitute in exactly what you want to feed the controller, but and which can be good stuff, so that you can see it op- operate the good way. And then you should also make sure that that sends it some bad stuff, so you can see how your controller reacts when it gets bad stuff. And that's just so much easier to do when you can stub some aspect of the dependency.
0: Yeah, and one of the, one of the keys there is, like when I do a lot of stubbing, so like uh, I, I test a controller and it's going to go off and get a list of customers. I don't actually want it to hit the back end, so what I'll do is I'll create a, a function that basically returns back a set of mock uh, customers, and I'll put that function inside of another file, and I'll wrap it with a sign-on stub. So then any of my tests that need to go off and get customers and stub them, I can then call that little helper, which also reduces friction for if I write a lot of tests and I have to go hit that controller or other things that actually go get customers. Now I've got one place to go get that information. Uh, it makes it a lot easier.
2: There's a name for that. It's called a data mother. A what? A data mother. <laughs> that little thing, that little file that's all wrapped up, it's called a data mother. I love a name.
1: Not suitable for work.
0: <laughs>
1: you are in Vegas.
0: Oh, my.
2: Oh, I, I didn't think we were going there. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> and I don't think this tangent's too far off because it really is against style. I find testing's kind of like the new frontier for me. I don't enjoy testing like many people, but Ward does. But I do value what I get out of testing, so... I'm finding the more I go through testing, Ward and I constantly have fights on Skype in the middle of the night talking about why is it so hard to test this? It should be easier. And we try to find ways to make it easier. So what's evolving there is more styles that we're coming up with uh, and looking into the community for and how to write easier frictionless tests that are valuable. You know, what a good test would be. And that's something I see this guide actually expanding on.
2: Yeah, that's the growth area because John's first principle was so right, which is that time to the first it. The more setup code you have, the more brittle it is, the more difficult it is to understand what's going on. So where we're constantly looking for is the way to get that setup, get to the meat as fast as possible, get the setup out of there. And that also has the value of making the test less brittle. Because the way in which tests fall apart over time is when they have a lot of tricky setup and then some of those preconditions, that's what you're doing in your setup, start uh, falling apart and then your tests are no good and then you stop executing them or you comment them out and before long, you know, the tests aren't providing that value anymore.
1: This is so good. We should definitely do another episode just on testing. We really could. And Ward's got a whole
0: session here this week, I think later today on testing at this conference. We're at Angle Brackets, we should say, in Las Vegas.
2: Dab Intersections Um, is the other name for it.
0: Yeah. And we're getting excited because later today, it's funny. So, Douglas Crockford just walked in the room a few minutes ago, right before we did this podcast. And he says, John, I know you're talking in like, you know, an hour, and I really want to see your session. He goes, Just so you know, my session's right after yours, and I need to go do a wardrobe change. I'm going to walk out in the middle of your session. So, don't think I'm really hating it. (laughs) I was like, Thank you, because, you know, I I revere Douglas Crockford. So, I was like, That would be really horrible. Oh my gosh. there's a lot of great people here at this conference, and it's one of the advantages of coming here is you get to talk to good people and kind of see what they're doing with Angular and JavaScript out in the community. Absolutely. And that's why
2: we're also interested in ng-conf, which is going to be a great conference. Yes, it's always a great conference.
0: Too bad Joe and Aaron aren't here. They could talk more about it. I think they've already announced that the conference is going to be
1: in March. Is that correct, Lucas? Yep. That is correct. Awesome. I thought it was in April, but
3: no, I I'm think probably
1: it's... wrong. It's March, March 5th and 6th. Ah, March 5th yep. Cool.
0: Yeah, we have this thing called the Internet. I guess we could just check, right? If only we had <laughs> a device. Shut up, man. <laughs> We're so lazy these days. All I have to do is type in the Google.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I was already on the page. I just scrolled up. Oh, <laughs>
0: my. So you're really lazy then. I got you.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: I, I think the biggest things with any kind of a guide, again, just to wrap things up, is I didn't really intend on this show to go through everything in the guide uh, just to talk about one or two things, but... Talk more about the importance of having one. And I, I open call to the community. Something I'm actually looking for help on is I want to create a JSCS plugin. JSCS is a JavaScript code style checker that runs through Node to basically write the rules for my style guide so you can run it through Node and have it tell you, you know, what's, what things you have, what things you don't. You could turn rules on or off. And if you didn't like my style on something, you could write your own and plug it in. So that's something I'm looking for some help on, that to put out there in the community would be great. If somebody's interested in doing that, please contact me or either through the show or on Twitter, at John underscore Papa. Uh, love to get that moving. And then you know, moving forward with something like this, I think it's important to say, because we just had that talk with the Angular 2 team, uh, I think it was two episodes ago, they're really looking for a way to create a migration path from 1.x to 2.0. So one of the things that I've been talking to Igor about was, how do we get people ready for that? And as a small attempt to that, I'd like to chart evolving the style guide to help people see, all right, if you do this now in 1.x, when 2.0 comes out, this will set you up for a closer migration path to get to 2.0. And to be clear, some things it will not be simple to translate, but in others it'll be easier. Like if you're using, as Ward said, controller as with your controllers, that's going to be a heck of a lot easier to translate to a class-based component controller In In which
2: scope disappears, right? In 2.0, dollar scope gets factored as it properly should have been, I think, from the beginning into a collection of services. And then you have your context for your data binding. And now the controller itself becomes the context for data binding. And those services become optionally available to you just like any other service you would inject into your controller. Well, controller as style actually embodies that philosophy so that's why moving to controller as is is moving in the direction of 2.0
0: and i'll have one other ask of the community for folks listening is if you read something in the style guide and it doesn't make sense to you why it's there i tried really hard to add why for every single issue that i had in the style guide here's what i suggest and here's why if there isn't clear why Leave a GitHub issue, let us know, and we'll try to get back to it and explain it better. And if we can't explain why, it doesn't belong in here, to be honest with you. So it's one of those things to me. I'm never a guy who likes to tell people, go do this and not have a reason why. The reason shouldn't be just because John Papa said so or you know, Lucas said so. It shouldn't be that way.
1: Yep.
2: It should be that way if I say so. though. <laughs> and it usually is.
0: <laughs> the Ward Bell stamp of approval.
1: There yeah. you go. Yeah, this style guide has issues, so use them. <laughs> All right. Should we do some picks? I think that sounds good.
0: Hey Ward, you got any picks
1: today?
2: Oh, that's terrible. I <laughs> haven't thought about that. <laughs> Actually, my pick is Billy Hollis gave me some snakeskin shoes and I've been wearing them all over the conference. And I gotta tell you you gotta go out and get yourself some snakeskin shoes.
3: <laughs> Pro tip.
2: <laughs> Are they comfortable or just
1: cool looking?
0: I never ask if fashion is comfortable. I bleed for fashion. <laughs> we went walking on the strip last night, and Ward was wearing a red zoot suit with a red top hat and pants and white snakeskin shoes. And we got called a lot of names out there. And let's put it this way. Ward could have made a lot of money.
2: Uh, <laughs> the, other, the other thing I could say about it is that it costs a lot of money to look this cheap. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um, my other pick is i tripped over something sometimes i'm sitting there and i want to spin up a server really quickly in node and i just you know i have some static files that i want to serve and i've got node around and i just need to spin up a server around it and there's a a nifty um, node module that you can in you know npm install dash g called http server so i'm sure there are many of those out there but this one comes ready to hand
3: very nice lucas do you have some picks for us Yeah, so my pick is going to be, because Joe or Aaron is not here today, is NGConf. So tickets are going on sale today. They will be on sale by the time this episode comes out, but it's going to be a fantastic conference. Uh, Keep your eyes on the website.
1: Yeah, and that's ng-conf.org. Yep. All right, John, do you have some picks for us?
0: I do, I do. So my Angular pick here is going to be Angular Hint. There's a series of uh, repositories out there I think that Brian Ford and some others have created, these are libraries, basically, that you can include through Node into your Angular project. And you basically add a script tag to this Node file, this hint.js. And then when you run your app, you stick a directive in the top called uh, ng-hint, and it will basically run through your application and do a series of style checks for you on certain things. Uh, so it's kind of related to the stuff in the style guide already. Where things like, let's for example, if you don't name your controllers in the fashion that they prefer you to name them, in, it'll let you know. And it's not going to error out or anything, but it prints them off in the console window to show you, look, for controllers, these are the things that we saw that maybe you need to do. For directives, here's stuff you should do. And some of them are stylistic, and some of them are actually functional. So this one will actually catch things like, hey, you're referring to a module that doesn't exist, uh, which is actually very useful. So this is still early. I'm not even sure if there's a version on it yet. But I know Brian's talked about it quite a bit, and it's still evolving. So definitely check out Angular Hint.
1: Very cool. I'm going to go ahead and pick a conference as well. This is something that I'm organizing. It's the JS Remote Conf. You can now go register. I have tickets for users groups and for single attendees. So if you want to you know, have a whole bunch of people get together and attend the conference, then you can. It's going to be in the evening, February 3rd through 5th, and then 10th through 12th for like two hours. So, you know, you just tape your favorite TV shows, put on your bunny slippers, uh, sit down in front of your computer and watch some JavaScript. Awesome. Uh, Instead of
0: your bunny slippers, could you wear your uh, snakeskin shoes?
1: I think that's passable, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so if you go sign up, the early bird ends on December 14th. I just picked a nice round date, that being my birthday, to end the early bird. Anyway, it should be great. It's all going to be online. You don't have to travel. And it's relatively inexpensive. And by relatively, I mean a single attendee ticket early bird is $50. So um, Sweet. That's not bad at all. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, see who all winds up speaking. I should have a call for proposals up here within the next few days, which means that by the time this comes out, you should be able to go and propose a talk. And, yeah. So I'm really excited. I've, I've been putting in a lot of work to try and get this together. And hopefully it will allow some people who don't get to come out and you know do the conferences physically at the place you know they can come and they can at least benefit somewhat from a conference experience where we have chat rooms and forums and things like that along with the great talks anyway Sweet. so that's uh, my pick i guess it's a little self-serving but i'm really just hoping that we can help more people kind of come together with the community so
0: i think that's a great idea i've been involved in a couple not a lot but a couple of uh, webcast based remote conferences and they do work really well because a lot of time you just can't make it to places like like las vegas like we are this week
1: yeah well it's the same thing for me like going to the east coast i've been to i think one conference on the east coast and it was just because you know it's prohibited for me to travel anyway thanks for listening we'll be back again next week viva las vegas viva viva las vegas
3: (laughs) for the win that was excellent your camera <laughs> is oh
1: my this episode is sponsored by Mad Glory you've been building software for a long time and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming work piles up hiring sucks and it's hard to get projects out the door check out Mad Glory they're a small shop with experience shipping big products they're smart dedicated will augment your team and work as hard as you do find them online at madglory.com or on twitter at madglory Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.